everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hot Rod Lincoln, baby. Yes, it's episode 150 on the 5 to Go Racing Podcast here on WSBRadio.com and GoPRN.com. Thanks for both of those radio entities for carrying us on their sites. And thanks to you for listening. I'm Doug Fireball Turnbull. From the traffic team in 95.5 WSB and with the Performance Racing Network, I get to join them a few times a year. They'll be at Las Vegas Motor Speedway this coming weekend. They were at Bristol Motor Speedway this past weekend for a barn burner trio of races. And we're going to cover those here on the podcast. What we're going to talk about today is, of course, Chase versus Kevin and almost how the fact of fight completely overshadowed the fact that it was an amazing race, but it fueled people's opinions of the race. We'll, t- we'll also discuss, you know, maybe some of the rights and wrongs and umbrages felt in that fight. We're going to talk, too, about uh, the playoff implications looking ahead to Las Vegas, and then the uh, just the bedlam, the drama, in both the Xfinity Series and the Truck Series at Bristol. And whether or not, I mean, this is just a popular Internet argument, we're just going to discuss it ourselves, but whether or not the dirt, made the Bristol racing surface better when it turned back to pavement and whether they should ever put dirt on it again. We're also going to discuss a few more items here. So joining us on the line to help us get through all this is Dawsonville Dan Elliott. How you doing, sir? Doing great. Hope everybody is doing the same and had a start to the week, a good start to the week so far. Hey, man, we're, we're rocking and rolling here. I've been High-octane traffic reporting this week in the mist, muck, fog, and rain here in Atlanta, and it has been rough on WSB. So if y'all are listening there, I'm, I'm honestly surprised I have a voice left after some of that because it's been burning at both ends. About what I want to mention, Dan, before we get to the race, and Eric Von Hessler, I, I've, it's my schedule that's really messed up this week, and he was... I couldn't align it with his. He's doing his daily Von Hessler Doctrine show as we record at uh, 940 here on Tuesday morning. So you can hear the Von Hessler Doctrine 9 to noon every day on 95.5 WSB. And, uh, of course, in all the podcast places, they put bonus content on there. His is a great show. I know Eric would have a lot of opinions today, Dan, but I want to hear yours. I just want to get your gut reaction, your gut feeling out uh, out of this Bristol race that was a barn burner. Well, I thought it was a great race too. It it come down to what I I had kind of hoped that the competition would be that way. I kind of hoped that it would be to where that the there was three, two, three, four, five cars that were vying for the win because all of these cars. Um, the the only exception to that is. I kind of wish you had another mix in the in the in the owner equation of this to yeah. where that you had maybe Hendrick Gibbs, Penske, or or you know a, a more broad mix in in that way because you know when you when you look at the finish and we'll talk about that in a minute when you look at at, at how the finish ended up being but uh, I thought it was an exciting race and. And I thought it was a, I, I wish nobody had had 
had to have, whether it had been Har- Harvick or whether it had been Chase, I wish that everybody could have run on and, and done battle as you, as you think about a Coliseum and the Gladiators battling. But um, that's what they've built this race up to be. And you and I both know that you can go back two decades or more and, and see where this has always been. And that's what's made Bristol the track that it is. Well, for sure. And how many, how many times do we walk away with ruffled feathers in this Bristol race? I, I gotta say, in the, the truck series and Xfinity series finishes themselves may have been closer or more exciting because it went, I mean, it went right down. Well, I mean, it, this one went right down to the very end of the cup series too, but I didn't, feel like I walked away from those races with the the people that lost the race quite as PO'd as Chase and Kevin <laughs> and their and their demeanor. And for those that missed it, and you should go go on YouTube, look it up or, you know, NBC Sports uh, sports page or whichever. Maybe in case you missed it, of course, they, the Bristol race, despite the fact that it was really clean and green kind of for the first half, Chase Elliott and Kevin Harvick were right there in the lead mix and we went went for the same piece of real estate and you can we can argue and dissect over who did what wrong there but it certainly looked like Kevin Harvick had his first chance to win a race this year really all year he's only been competitive at plate tracks and even led laps hardly and here he is he sees the win in sight and there's playoff implications on the line too and he goes for a spot that you have a less percentage chance of making than you would go for if it was lap 50 right Dan he goes for it chase oh, yeah. It gets a fender rub from that going for that spot at the same time or Harvick fitting in that spot at the same time. And Chase cuts a tire and finishes like 25th or so. Chase then, of course, comes back on the track super ticked off like a lot of people who miss chances on wins are. And he proceeds as a lap car to run Kevin Harvick's line, impede his progress and keep and make him lose the lead. And Kyle Larson, Chase's teammate, wins the race. Kyle's sixth win of the season there. William Byron digs himself out of his grave to finish in the top five. Alex Bowman with a good finish. They're able to advance in the playoffs there. And Harvick still with a respectable finish, right? I think he finished third. I'll pull that up here in a second. Yeah, he was second, excuse me. Kevin Harvick has now gone a calendar year, Dan, without winning. So do you think Harvick, Dan, was more angry at Chase because he missed the win or more angry at Chase for the temper tantrum, right? I think that you've got this is the perfect storm to me because, you know, the only thing I, I thought about this after the race was over and, and, and I would not have, if, if, if those two cars, if they had been reversed on the track with the few laps were left and, and we know that a win is guaranteeing you in the next round. So, with everything on the line, I, I couldn't see it ending any other way, regardless of who the, this duo was, yeah. how they were positioned. I couldn't see this turning out any other way because it, it played out in my mind over the years that I, that I saw this, I saw this move so many times before. And it used to be before that, before the cars got so arrow dependent, Doug, that you knew what was coming as a driver. You knew that the car behind you was going to go to the inside, bank off of you and, and roll on. Okay. So the smart drivers would do the, 
brake deal, once that car, once you knew you were past the line of of backing off and and knowing that you could make the corner without without banking off somebody or tearing the wall down, they would do that crossover move. They would do the brake yeah. check, let that car go ahead of them, go up the banking, and then you'd sweep down and pass them back. That I love was the that classic move. crossover. Yep, I, I love, love that, that move. move. But if you're going to make the risk, happened, I just want to interject. If you're going to make the risk of rooting someone out of the bottom groove, you better be ready for it to come back because your car, when you're making the pass, and correct me if I'm wrong, Dan, when you go and make that aggressive move to pass them, it's going to be unsettled for a moment until you can get your groove back. And if that car that you passed is able to, you know, to take advantage of you still being unsettled after they get rooted out of the groove, they could go get the space right back or at least make some contact with you because you can't, it's, it's not easy to get away from someone right at a short track. Well, the the problem becomes, and I was going to, as I was going to say, the problem becomes that these cars are so aero dependent, and I don't care if you're at Bristol or Martinsville or anywhere, they are so aero dependent that that crossover move may or may not work because once you throw the brakes on to that degree, you lose some of the downforce, and the car may wash up the banking you may not be able to make that crossover move because in years past, the cars were, for the most part, pretty dirty. They 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 moved a lot of air in front of them. There was air under the cars, and, and they did not depend as much on clean air as the cars today. So the crossover right. move is one of those to where that it may or may not work, and it's a gamble because – how rare has the crossover move been for us in the last decade? Oh, for sure. That's a man. That that is such a profound thing to say there, Dan. And I'm not just uh, kissing up to you there. Really, that's such a profound thing. How often do you see the crossover move anymore? Except, I mean, even yep. at plate tracks, it's different because I mean, yeah, like you can't because you're so stuck down and 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 so close together. Wow, that's that's a great point. These these cars are so dependent on air that we have no idea because you can't see the air and how it's moving. Only the driver knows, but most of the time, sometimes the moves they make are just a gut reaction and a gamble, and sometimes it works and sometimes it don't. But but I can see I could see that deal playing out at Bristol the way it played out because you you are you're you're going for for there's so much on the line that the that's what you get paid the big bucks for. That's what you earn the big bucks for is, is to go for it. I hate it the way that it turned out because, like I say, I'd love to see everybody race to the end. But I think Harvick was probably the maddest because, sure. you, you know, when you get held up like that, when you, when you know you've got a good car and you get held up purposely, this is what comes back to bite you in the rear later in this in this championship chase is is this stuff comes back to bite you hard and what so let's look at that now chase you know it, it can be debated about how he's how he's handled stuff i guess and whether he confronts people or not because in some senses he's avoided confrontation like joey logano at bristol in the june 2020 race where he roughed up joey i mean he made an aggressive move for a spot and Joey 
wanted to talk to Chase afterwards, and Chase just ignored him. But then Chase, when he was done wrong by Harvick, made a point to stop him on pit road and and do the whole thing. I mean, he was livid. And and but we've seen Chase, so so that's kind of one and one, right? Where how Chase has handled it. But we've seen Chase not only get out of the car and get in someone's face before, not fight. I'm not talking about fighting, but just get out of the car and get in someone's face. We saw it in 2017 at Martinsville. Here, Chase is winless at that point in the fall Martinsville race. I know you remember it well, Dan, right after we had started this podcast, by the way. And when Denny Hamlin just just dive bombs Chase and knocks him out of the groove and out of contention late in the race, Chase swipes up and, and pins Denny's car against the wall afterwards, and they have their, their chat. And then at Phoenix, in an elimination race the next week, Chase doesn't give Denny any room. Denny cuts a tire, and Denny Hamlin misses the championship four race. Chase missed it also by just a point or two, by the way, because Matt Kenseth won that race. But it, or, or maybe it was the next year Matt Kenseth won. But nonetheless, no, that was the year Matt Kenseth won Phoenix in, uh, over Chase when Chase was supposed to win it there. But nonetheless, Dan, I think Chase has sent the message multiple times. Hey. I'm, you're not going to run over me. I'm not the kid anymore. I mean, it's, hey, it's my sixth year in the Cup Series and I'm a champion. And Kevin Harvick, like a lot of racers, races, I think, with a lot of entitlement and, uh, and Chase made sure and taught him a lesson there. What do you, do you think it really does carry forward? I mean, do you think that one owes one the other now or did, but since Chase impeded Harvick and Harvick didn't get the win, do you think they're even? You know, I think it's one of those things where you just play it race by race, and and it's definitely it's not one of those things I feel like that'll go down where where you'll end up in another situation where it will look purposeful. But given the situation where it's give and take, and maybe you're in a position to let Chase go by, let Kevin go by. And, and let them race with cars they're trying to race with, this will be remembered for a time to come. There, there's several of these situations that will be remembered for a time to come. And yeah. um, it it might be uh, – it. I don't think it will end up an argument of any kind, but I think it's going to be one of those things you, that you just don't forget. You just don't forget it. One, one thing that I've seen with – you've seen, Dan, and you've seen it at the short track level when you ran Gresham Motorsports Park – I think you I'm guessing you've seen this over the 20 some years in the NASCAR Cup garage. You've seen the drivers that can handle this kind of thing with ice water in their veins and the ones that do a really sloppy job of getting people back and things to their own detriment getting people back. And one thing that I have not seen from Chase Elliott and frankly or Kevin Harvick even I mean really in, in a long time certainly not with Chase though I haven't seen Chase go out and just do the uh, the the Matt Kenseth thing to Joey Logano and just like completely, utterly screw himself over. Chase, when he got Denny Hamlin back, it was more, I'm just not going to give him room. See you later. Right? And and I think Chase is smart enough that he's not going to let, if he still thinks he owes Kevin one, which I don't, personally, I don't see how he still thinks he owes him one, but it, I don't think Chase is going to let that cost him track position at Vegas or put him in the wall at Talladega or make him miss a turn at the Roval in the next round. Like, I just think that Chase is just going to put that one in the bank. And when Harvick needs a break, Chase is going to make sure the doors close. Oh, and vice versa. 
Yeah. Now, I don't think there's anyone's going to be dumping each other. I I think that this rivalry is played up more in the psychological realm. Uh, But nonetheless, let's look. Chase, go ahead. The the dumping each other doesn't get anybody anywhere except gets you into the big white holler and you end up losing money out of your pocket. So Uh everybody's gotten smarter than that. So so now you you play the smart card and and everybody knows that not only are you going to get chastised in the big white holler, you're going to get chastised at the team meeting the next week. So you you've got so many things that you have to be aware of in the GQ world in 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 the PC world that we live in. So you've got to be careful how you go about it. And I think these people have gotten really, really smart on, on how they do this stuff. And, and it's, it's kind of like people you do business with in life that can do the same thing. They can mess with you to the nth degree. And, and a lot of times you are in a position to where that you have no recourse or you are in a position to where that, uh, for the time being, you you may have to take it. Uh, for sure, for sure. Now, I let's let's look then out of the uh, playoff stuff, and that, that was great insight, Dan. You know about about revenge served hot or cold, so to speak. But let's look at some of the implications in this race here about where the playoffs went. Oh yeah, this was an elimination race, and really, I can't think of a better track than than Bristol or like Daytona before it <laughs> a few weeks ago to have. Uh, races with a lot on the line. So uh, Chase ended up finishing 25th, but he advances in the playoffs. The four drivers that don't advance here, that again, we go from round of 16 to now round of 12. Those drivers, Eric Almarola, Tyler Reddick, Kurt Busch, and Michael McDowell. And you saw both Alex Bowman and William Byron drive from below the cut line to above it to be able to advance to the next round. So I threw some names at you, Dan. Is there anybody you were surprised didn't make the round of 12? I mean, there has to be. Yeah, because um, because y'all had talked more about Kurt Busch. Uh-huh. And Kurt used to, for the most part, to me, uh, there was a time there he probably did have bragging rights to Bristol and he how had well keys. he ran there. Yeah, at, at a time. But, I, I, you know, you you've got to look at, at what – Providence favors you far here in these races, and and I feel like the the only two organizations right now, and and you definitely have wild cards that could win at any given time, but given the preparation that I feel that Hendrick and Gibbs has done for a championship run. I felt like they've been preparing all year long for what they're yep. doing in these last 10 races. And this was, so it was easy to throw dirt on Hendrick Motorsports. E- easy to, not maybe should have, but easy to after what we, the performance we saw in Richmond and uh, Darlington, you know, Gibbs won those races and you saw the 48 team and the 24 team really struggle, frankly, in, in those. And, and then in this race, the Hendrick cars are all strong, and the Gibbs cars had some bad finishes. But I gotta say, Kyle Busch was in the mix, cut a tire. Denny Hamlin was in the mix and might have won the thing, cut a tire and still rebounded to finish ninth. Truex struggled all race, 
or at the times I checked in on it, were struggling in, and he popped up to finish seventh. So they still had the speed. They just didn't have the results in that particular instance, whereas Kyle Larson led the most laps. Chase Elliott led the second most laps, 175, 129. And then you saw Kevin Harvick with, the. I think, i got to go look. I'm pretty sure, without looking it up, most laps he's led all year in a race was 71. And even uh, saw Ryan Blaney get out there and lead some. So you saw multiple organizations. But, Dan, to me, this is really crystallizing into Hendrick versus JGR performance-wise. We know that anybody can win a race and advance to the championship four. So I'm not saying the championship has to go through those but there's no doubt that these are the best performing teams. Do you think any of them right now has an edge? Because lately, and all year, you said rather, it's been Hendrick. I still feel like it's been Hendrick. I feel like, as I said, I feel like that with the resources they have, with the manufacturer they have, I feel like that they have solidly placed themselves in a position where that if they lose this, it's going to be their own fault. Yeah, I think so. And uh, by the way, I, I did want to backtrack for a moment but before we get on to some other things. Kurt Busch, I mean, yeah, what the heck? He finished 19th and was not in the mix at all at Bristol, and that was after crashing and finished last in Richmond when he was leading, essentially. And that was after having a great run in Darlington. And it just shows if you don't have a lot of playoff points, really one bad race will do you in especially if you have another mediocre race in that round. And Kurt Busch, it's been a great season for him, and he's not going to be able to take Chip Ganassi racing forward in the playoffs. And I wanted to mention one last thing about Bristol, Dan. You seem to think or, or hypothesize about what the dirt meant to Bristol and what it might have done to the surface at Bristol. <laughs> Do you think? I mean, there's some people that are campaigning for dirt to not be on Bristol again, and that's just not happening, at least not next year. Do you think that the dirt made the Bristol racing better? Well, whatever they I mean, did. It made the pavement Bristol it, racing better. Excuse me. Yeah, whatever they did, no denying, it made the race a lot better. Whether it had to do with the dirt and how they cleaned and prepped the track, getting ready to run asphalt again, it sure made a difference. So whatever they did, repeat the process again, and I'm all for it. There you go. And and that Bristol dirt race next year will be on Easter night. So that that's big. We, we I'm sliding this in out of the blue, Dan. I know we didn't talk about it before, but COVID-19 is taking its toll on these race teams. And Kurt Busch has made me think of that. A lot of the pit crews are getting swapped around because of drivers that even if they don't test or sorry, not drivers, if pit crew members, even if they don't test positive for COVID-19, if they are within a certain realm of contact tracing, they can't go to the track and can't be active on the pit crew. And Kurt Busch had to take multiple members from his teammate Ross Chastain's team to be able to go over the wall and do pit stops. I don't think that's the reason he finished 19th. I'm just pointing that out, that this could happen on any team, and already has with some of the top teams, too. The 19 team of Truex has had to swap crew members and different things at times. But here's the implication, Dan, the dominoes that fall further down the standings. If Kurt Busch and Ross Chastain have to swap or switch around some crew members. The teams that borrow pit crews that are backup pit crews from Chip Ganassi Racing, like Spire Motorsports, like Starcom Racing, they then lose their pit crew members and they get even worse pit crews, right? So it's like the whole pipeline continues up. It's not like they all have their own individual pit crews, right? They, they, usually the big teams are farming out auxiliary pit crews to the smaller teams. And then, Dan... 
this impacts not just the playoffs, but also what we talked about last week, those battles in the Cup Series to be in the top 25 in points and the million-dollar bonus with that for the, all the teams in the top 25. It, if you're Spire Motorsports or someone right on the edge of that or whoever, and suddenly you have a you bust off a 17-second or a 14-second pit stop and lose five spots in a race, that could be the difference between potentially at the end of the year, Dan, a million dollars. So I just wanted to point that out. It's not so much a take or here's major analysis, but, Dan, you, you said several weeks ago, I wonder how COVID-19 could impact the playoffs going forward. And to me, without a driver missing a race, to me, this has been it so far. What do you think? Well, I know that there is chemistry with the crews, and it, it's kind of like with us. Um, we we have we were very fortunate to have good chemistry through a lot of our pit crews, and and we we had several, and and we went through the same thing everybody else did, as far as personnel, pit crew people who either through you know, you lost them through the fact that they found other jobs because you, you this wasn't a this wasn't a specific job that you had. You had other work, and and this was kind of like a a sideline of a very what's the word here a a very critical hobby job that you had, and and you didn't. It wasn't thought of as a hobby job. It was very serious, and it was taken very seriously. But yeah. you also had to understand that your income came from other places. Oh yeah. So you did yeah. what you, you did what you had to do. But nowadays, it's specific pit crews, and they get paid well for doing what they do. So even if you hire somebody else, even if you get somebody else from another team, what I'm trying to say is you're getting doggone good personnel because these people train all the time they are paid well and you've got to understand that if the team does well then they get a bonus so it's going to be in your best interest it's going to be in your best interest to do absolutely the best you can and you do not want to you don't want to let yourself down you don't want to let the team down but it is a lot of revenue it's a lot of income and and that's what you're there for is do a good job, move on up the ladder, then you go from, this might be your opportunity to go from, even though that it's so close, this this might be your opportunity to go from the B team to the A team. Yeah, well, and that's a big deal. So for the guys that move up, I didn't think about the positive. Yeah, the guys that move up suddenly get thrown into the playoff light and maybe can earn themselves a spot on a pit crew, on the, on the A yeah. or B pit crew instead of the C pit crew. That's a great point. But think about uh, what the championship race came down to in Phoenix this past year. As dominant as Chase Elliott was on paper, really the guy that had the fastest car, and this will not be remembered in the history books, is Brad Keselowski. And Keselowski lost the lead at the end of the race because he had a subpar pit stop. Now, Chase had an amazingly fast car. No, I mean, no doubt. I mean, it would have come down to them. But Keselowski lost control of the race by having a slow pit stop. Imagine if one of the championship four or one of the elimination teams on the bubble in these forthcoming rounds busts off a 14-and-a-half-second pit stop and gives up a chance to win their way into the next round because they lost the lead when someone else popped off an 11-second stop. That yeah, It could happen when you don't have that chemistry. Too. Yeah, you've also got to look, look at two as equipment failure because that was something yep. that we had – 
issues with during the years that we ran, whether it be a jack, whether it be an impact ranch, whatever the, the deal was, you you do have equipment failures and and Providence whatever whatever fate throws in there, you you've got to take it because it, there's nothing you can do about it at that point in time. Right. Hey, we saw that with Chase, by the way, in Richmond, where he had to uh, he had to pit slightly different in his pit box to get around, or what? I, I I can't remember the circumstances, but he pitted different in his pit box, and his pit crew ran out through the jack under the car, and Chase was trying to back up. He thought he missed his pits, and so he just someone either he decided or someone told him to back up. They'd already put the jack under the car, which then meant the jack got stuck under a place that didn't have a jack post, and the jack broke. With an, and here's something that I heard Brian Flores. Or sorry, Ryan Flores, excuse me, who is a pit crew member on Brad Kozlowski's crew. He said this on Corey LaJoy's Stacking Pennies podcast this past week. Chase's pit crew showed their experience because they didn't fiddle around too long trying to fix the broken jack. and They immediately knew, two guys knew to jump over the wall, get the backup jack, and go. They practiced and done all these problems before, whereas if you're on the C-team pit crew, and you have a problem in a championship moment, you may not have that muscle memory to know exactly what to do in split seconds. And Chase managed to rebound from that problem in a way where he could have gone multiple laps down. And I think that was yeah, a really insightful thing, too. Yeah, this is the difference in, 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 uh, in teams that have been around for decades versus teams that have been around for maybe five years or even ten years. This, this is the difference in the experience and the and the level of personnel that you that you have that you pay for and that you expect and and it's come it's come down to just being expected that that this is that this team knows what it's doing that's what they're paid for and that's why the bonuses are so good that's what makes them so good is because hey they've been through about every scenario that can possibly happen because we would train for the deal of having a because sometimes you had lug nuts that got rounded because you didn't have Ugh. the best equipment. You went through scenarios of what could happen, and the worst one was rounding off a lug nut and having to bring a a uh, six point socket over and getting a lug nut off. And you practice these scenarios, and and this seems like this seems like all the stuff that that we trained for it it was like slow motion everything and and everything today is so choreographed and so practiced that it seems like a just just a natural movement it's it's just hey this happened so big deal you you have this you take care of that and you don't notice it it's so well choreographed yeah but that's where the money yeah. that's where the that's what the money buys you no, I, I mean, totally. And, and these top teams are so much more refined and so similar to each other than I think what we saw in the eighties and nineties. Y'all, I mean, let's face it. Sometimes if Junior Johnson's crew hit on something that the Melling crew didn't, that was a bigger gain than if a Joe Gibbs versus a Hendrick were to game one, right? It's like, it's like almost everybody is just yeah. nerdy about this all the time. And and the, yeah, the you, whereas you you're talking even, about you, entire seconds in the 1990s, here you're gaining tenths of a second on a pit stop, right? Yeah, but you can't even conceive how that deal worked out even in the 80s, where 
You had no, a you had a team <laughs> You're right. like juniors with unlimited resources who could go to someone and say, "Okay, I hear you're coming out with a new a new lightweight jack that's supposed to jack the car up in a pump and a high for a stroke, and we want to be the first one to have it. And if you'll get it to us first, we'll pay you a five thousand dollar bonus." Wow. Yeah, that's okay, especially that's when Warren Hodgson joined his team there in the eighties, right? Yeah. Well, when Hodgson joined the Johnson just, team and threw all that money in there. That really made it happen. The John, Hodgson and Budweiser, right? I don't know if it was Hodgson. I think that happened with with before even Budweiser came in with Junior. I think there were bonuses paid, and and there's nothing illegal about that. It's it's actually no. smart, but you've got to have the money. You've got to have the wherewithal, and that's what I'm saying. Is is there's where resources make the difference? Well, for sure, so and it, and I yeah. Go ahead. No, it, it's just one of those things where you you make the best of of whether it is relationships with people, whatever it is. But the bottom line is is you offer incentives, and and just like what goes on today. You offer the right people the right incentives. It's kind of like your bridge in Atlanta that got burned. Okay, they rebuilt that bridge back and and nothing flat, and everybody got a bonus. That I, it was the perfect mixture of the public and private sector working together and good old capitalism. Absolutely, I completely agree with that. And you know that stuff still goes on, maybe in, in different manners than you said, but it, it's it has to. And with this new car really closing the box even more, it's going to be even more advantages you could gain, even more small advantages you could gain could add up to big stuff. So, but pivoting off of the pit stop stuff, I want to get out to a uh, pit stop stuff. Easy for me to say. I want to get to the Xfinity series and the Truck series races because those were quite incredible. The Xfinity race ended a lot better then I think it went for the most part. And I, I know that's true with a lot of races, and you're like, hello, Captain Obvious. But but I, but seriously, listen, listen. The Xfinity Series race was, excuse me, Truck Series race, get it together, Turnbull, was <laughs> dominated with a capital D-O-M by Sheldon Creed, who had won the first two races in the playoffs. And he thought, okay, know how this is going. The first stage in the truck race was almost unbearable to watch, in my opinion on a Thursday night because they kept having cautions and they ran I mean, just over and over and they were dumb cautions. They didn't even get to really racing. But then at the end of the race, you saw Sheldon Creed up there and Chandler Smith knowing he had to win and he had never won in the trucks before. He lost the truck series race at Bristol late last year. He lost the Watkinsville or the Watkins Glen race a few weeks ago. He, it was all on the line, and he dove down to the corner, and he got the spot, and then his teammate, John Hunter Nemechek, by the way, that cut Sheldon Creed's tire. He was out of contention. And then John Hunter Nemechek got around Chandler Smith, almost like a crossover, Dan, because Smith's car or truck was still upset after that pass. John Hunter got around Chandler Smith, and then Chandler Smith looked under him, and it seemingly to me, Dan, looked like John Hunter just got out of the gas and Chandler Smith won the race, and John Hunter Nemechek dove up under him and, and kind of acted like he was trying to go past him, but he knew he could not pass his teammate who needed to win to go win that race. So Chandler Smith advances in the Truck Series playoffs, and and that was his first career win. Wait, what a way, Dan, to have your first career win, but it comes at the expense of another Georgia driver, Austin Hill, who had won two races just before the playoffs started. Austin Hill 
crashes late in the event and is now seated 10th and out of the playoff standings. And Todd Gilliland, by the narrowest of margins, he misses the cut, too. So, Dan, what do you think about the whole teammate dynamic there with John Hunter Nemechek, Kyle Busch truck, and, and then his, and then Chandler Smith getting the win? Did John Hunter do the right thing if indeed he actually got out of the gas, which most people think he did? Well, tell me in the team meeting, how was that supposed to be anyway? Uh, yeah, did this I mean, play out like it? Yeah, you, yeah, I mean, you don't know the dynamics of how you got there anyway. So, uh, that played out. It's it's kind of like your movie Ford versus Ferrari when when they oh, had yeah. all the Fords line up at the end and and all of this stuff is a lot of times a lot of times this stuff is for somebody's benefit and really I think it ought to play out to to let the best driver win and don't wreck each other just just give and take as. As NASCAR always said in the drivers' meetings when when I, when I was going was give and take, boys. It's a long day, and and yeah. uh, you don't want to end up with a deal like Bristol was for for the Xfinity or for the Cup either one. So you you give and take and respect each other and know that um, you you just do the best you can. We we know championships on the line, but you've got to understand you do the best you can and. Um, Go back the next week and 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 hope and pray that 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 deal works out the way it's supposed to for you. Well, that, that that's a great point. So here's the importance of having boots on the ground covering the sport. All right, and I, I'm I'm not going to get too deep into this about what I I think is wrong with the booth in the truck series and them not being at the track. I'm not talking about the personalities themselves. It's great having Kurt Busch up there. Michael Waltrip's a good hype man. Bench Welch is a veteran. But they're not at the track anymore, and they miss crashes all the time. And because, Dan, they're not at the track, that means they're not, at least to the viewer like me, soaking themselves in the cars and uh, the trucks, the livery around them, knowing off the top of their head, oh, that's Lawless Allen in the 45. Oh, that's Josh Rayum in the 34 or, or whatever, right? They just It goes, oh, there's a spin. There's the 33 truck. Okay, you know, and it takes forever to even know if there's a spin or who's in it, and and then they don't say much about them. Oh, I mean, and and that's one thing. But after the race, you have the drivers that hop out and get on TV, and they say that the interview, and then that's it. But sometimes you need a little more. And so Bob Pockris, who writes for Fox Sports and also does you know multiple venues of digital content for Fox Sports, I mean, if you're knowing enough to listen to our podcast, you know who Bob Pockris is. Yeah. Bob made sure and kept probing John Hunter Nemechek on pit road with the questions and asking it the right way and tried to get John Hunter to say if he had really let up for his teammate or not, because people are really averse to that in NASCAR, especially. And, and yep. Bob, you got to see the video. Bob asked the questions in a way that John Hunter said it without saying it and said he was really ticked off that he didn't get to win. And I know, I just know, Dan, he would have won that race probably if, you know, it was versus yeah, another truck. So I importance agree. of boots on the ground. <laughs> well, I, I think this is, I think this is for a lot of things and, and COVID is a lot the reason that you are in the situation you're in because a lot of people have realized that you don't have to send all of these people to the track you used to, that you can call it from the booth, you can do this. You can do that, but obviously 
obviously you as a fan lose in in the in the end you as a fan lose because that keeping up with and and I do admire the way you have kept up with so much of this uh through my work I can't do as much as I did and still keep up as I did plus I want to do more I don't get to go more. enough <laughs> yeah plus I'm a little bit more at a disadvantage because television does not always offer me with the package that I have, it does not always offer me everything that I want to be able to view because I miss a lot of the drag race and I miss a lot of, of the NASCAR events. I miss a lot of things that, that I would love to stay in tune with, but it's just about impossible the way that, that the broadcasting is today. So many things have changed, and I think that that is where, where we're heading as far as the media coverage, I feel like more and more that it is going to be the way that we see it now in a modified version to where that you don't have as many people going to the track anymore. There, you, you've lost a lot of that personal touch. And, and I see that with the fact that it used to be that you could talk to a lot of the pit crew members and you mm -hmm. could get different opinions, ideas. You, you got, so many different views of how an organization worked, what was going on, how it ticked, and now you've lost the, the bulk of that, so to speak, except with the top tier, probably the number one and the number two teams, because they will still, there's, there's still an interest in them, but everything else is getting lost in the mix. Well, for sure. And I, I, I think it's so easy to consume this stuff now. And I'm, I'm pointing the fingers at myself. It's so easy to consume. You, you take for granted what's there and then you don't actually consume it. it. Does that make sense? Like, so I know, oh, I could go back and watch it anytime. Oh, I can look up who's in that truck later. Oh, I can see who the crew chief is another time. It used to be when I only watched the races on Fox or NBC. I didn't even have cable in the early 2000s when I first got into racing. I mean, I soaked up every single detail from the TV broadcast, and I was, I mean, just just osmosis online. And then when I finally got to the racetrack, I was just there. I mean, it's sensory. Just, and now it's like you almost take for granted that it's there because it's ubiquitous. You can you can get in any time. And I just think, and and I'm no, and I'm pointing fault at myself even when I prepare for races sometimes. I'm almost leery to do so much research because I'm like, well, if I really need it, I can just look it up real fast. But then you don't learn it. And, and that, and I think that's falling, that's seeping into the cracks in our mainstream race callers, especially on TV. On radio, you don't have the gra the, uh, the visual to lean on. So when I hear Doug Rice and Mark Garrow and, and, and the team over at MRN in the booth, you gotta know your stuff more than I think you have to know it on TV. And uh, because you have to paint the picture, you can't just assume the viewer knows, oh, the 33, who's, you know, you have to you have to tell them who it is and constantly update the lineup. So, I just I just think there's something yeah, but, lost but there. But I and, think and, it's I think it's more important even on TV because being able to come in as as Dale Jr. Okay, so you don't have to worry about uh, with me. I've I've got to do a a job to to make an income, and and I can't rely on anything else right now. So. You're at a disadvantage to, to 
to, let's say, Lily, it's probably worth, the last time I looked, about $300 million, I think. And, oh. and, um, and you, uh, you, you come into that, you can do, for the most part, anything you want to do because of the name. You can go anywhere you want to go, and people are, are going to talk to you more so than anybody else. And they're going to fill you in on things that other people may or may not be able to get very easily. You'll probably get a whole lot more. And and there's so many doors that open. And and don't get me wrong, um, we 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 all have opportunities to do different things. And and it's just the fact that because of that helps him. And that's where I'm going helps him in what he's doing on the TV deal because you know what's going on within your own organization as well yeah. as a lot of other things that are going out throughout the industry because you grew up with these. It's, it's kind of like school. You went to school with all these people, and they're your friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, it, it's, that, not a deal, so. it's not a deal where you're envious. It's just a deal to where that this is the facts of how it is. And that's why he's where he's at, because, number one, the knowledge, and, and it's like you were talking about drivers of the pice at Bristol and, and how things, okay, Daryl was, was, was very, very good at trying to get into your head and, and, oh, and play with your head on, on what was going on on the track, off the track. He was just so full of crap most of the time that, that you know, he, he talked about this stuff. Some of it was true. Some of it wasn't true. But it didn't matter because it played with your head, yeah. And and yeah, he'd try but, to get inside your head. Uh, he'd try to get inside your head, and um, and if he could do that and rattle you, then that's what he was after. And if he couldn't, he'd just try to figure out a different way to get there. And other drivers are no different in some sense of the word. Maybe not as open and obvious, Captain Obvious, uh, but but. Definitely not as open and obvious, but definitely they want to psych you out if they can. You know, let's get a psychology degree and and really get mm-hmm. good at this. Yeah, yeah. Well, Daryl was really useful up there, I think, in the booth for many years. But you could see by his last few how less touch he was with the race cars just by having been out of the car, you know, since the year 2000 or so. So good points there. Yeah, One you've of, got to go to the, to the track, not – not just being out of the car, but not being at the track. And there's where the key is on what you were talking about is right. with the COVID, you've not been able to be at the track as much. You, you've not been, been able to be around the people of the organizations as much. And I think this hurts media coverage big time. Yeah, it does. Hey, I want to point out, too, uh, this is something that you probably saw if you watch the race broadcast or certainly if you read or listen to the athletics, uh, Jeff Gluck and Jordan Bianchi. Jordan Bianchi was one of the media members, hard card credentialed, that was down in the pits while the Harvick and Elliott saga was unfolding there. And they, what's interesting to me, and you don't see this often, Dan, is Chase and Kevin had a second conversation that was heated. So they, they got separated because Harvick, I think, really got ticked off and started wanting to fight, and Chase was yelling at him. They got separated, and then it's like they go their separate ways, and then they come together again a few minutes later, and Jordan Bianchi sees that happening, as does Nate Ryan at NBC, and they start filming it. 
this conversation that they're trying to have a, a private. They knew Pit Road wasn't private, but they're standing in a credentialed area just out in front of the haulers, right, Dan? So Jordan Bianchi's sitting there filming it, and then Harvick turns to him and says to the effect of, I mean, what he's the point he was trying to make is, hey, I'm having a conversation here. Stop recording. Jordan puts his phone down. As soon as Harvick turns around, Jordan just lifts it up and doesn't say a word. Harvick turns around again, yells at Jordan Bianchi, and then turns to talk to Chase, and Jordan just lifts his phone up again and starts recording. And then a, a crew member, it looked like somebody from SHR maybe got in between him and he couldn't actually film it. Dan, I think uh, if they're in a proper area, they're dead to rights. <laughs> I mean, you gotta if you want to have the conversation, you need to go somewhere private and have it if you don't want it to be filmed. And they ended up doing that. They actually went. I've never seen this, Dan, not live on TV. They went into the Napa number nine hauler to finish the talk. I'm, you know, <laughs> I don't know if they needed some weapons or what. But uh, what do you think about that? I just I thought that was to me it was bold, and I'm not sure I would have been able to hold my own there i might have just gotten out of the way if harvick had yelled at me so i mean what do you think was did jordan do the right thing there there was a lot on the line for both drivers that as you well know coming together like that wasn't the time wasn't the place but um if if it got things settled down to where that they can that, that they can go because obviously there's friendship here that go way deeper than the racing, so to speak, yeah. even though you want to win the championship. There's friendships yeah. involved in this, and you want to try to get this worked out to where that it doesn't follow you for the rest of the playoffs. Well, for sure. I but mean, and I guess what I, was a- what I was asking you, her. You, you've got to understand, though, that any of these conversations, you and I both know that everywhere we go anymore, there's a camera on you. More than likely, I don't care where you well, go. For or sure, what you and do. if you're out in a credentialed area, pit road, and the media is allowed out there, it's they have the right yeah. to show it. You could be you, now, Jordan. I mean, could have been courteous and said, "Hey, you know, I know these guys are trying to talk it out, but hell no. I mean, that's exclusive content right in front of him. Like I, they, I mean." You know, if if it was me, I might because I don't go out there every day. And you know, Harvick or Chase would say, "Hey, man, put your phone away. I'm trying to talk." I I think my initial reaction might have been, maybe I should give them the courtesy and let them talk. But really, Jordan held his own. And and by the way, didn't want to be part of the story. And he said as much. He's he was embarrassed to be a part of the story. He was just doing his job, just like Bob Pockers was doing, asking the hard questions to John Hunter Nemechek. So. That's that's just the deal there, and I, I hope I, I haven't gone and looked at anybody's reactions really to that, but I, I think that most would say that Jordan was in the right there, and uh, and, it, and it forced them to go in the hauler and finish their conversation. So there you go. Um, hey, let's talk Xfinity real fast, there, Dan. And this might, I think, this finish could really simmer through the Xfinity playoffs as they get ready to go to Vegas this weekend along with the Cup and the trucks. So. The regular season championship is really what was on the line in this race. It would have taken, I think, a miracle for Riley Herbst. It would have taken Riley Herbst or Brandon Brown to win the race to even get into the Xfinity playoffs on Friday night. And and what happened, of course, is we saw Sam Mayer, the hot prospect who has had a terrible year and a terrible weekend at, at Bristol because he wrecked out of the ARCA race, uh, wrecked out of the truck race, he was leading and en route to his first win, and then he gets to racing hard with his teammate, Justin Allgaier. That that ends up leading to a caution with a spin and everything like that. Shuffles things up, and when it comes down to it, A.J. Allmendinger, Justin Allgaier, Austin Sendrick have a bananas, bonsai, holy cow finish that sees 
Almendinger in the 16, Cendric in the 22, finish, uh, wreck each other crossing the start finish line, pretty much. And, and Allguy was right in that mix too, get scraping up with Riley Herbst to finish third and just outside of the playoffs. It was an unbelievable finish. And because Almendinger won the race, he just barely won the regular season championship by 10 points, Dan, which gave him bonus points to go into the playoffs. And it seeds the number 16 college racing team for the semi-retired, used to be A.J. Allmendinger, number one going into the Xfinity playoffs. So what did you think of that finish? (laughs) I thought that finish was doggone awesome. Um, I hate it that other cars got torn up in that melee, but it was an exciting finish, and it it brought back memories to me of the – Earnhardt Labonte races at Bristol in years past. It sure did. So Austin Sendrick made the move and went for the hole and didn't come out on top. And then Almendinger really drove, you know, made an aggressive move himself to keep the lead. And that's kind of what caused the wreck essentially there. One thing that Sendrick made a point of saying on radio, on TV, and on his team radio after the race is, quote, they want to make sure we don't win. They'll do anything to make sure we don't win. And Penske is a lone ship out there. There are only two fully funded full Ford teams on the track. The one Stuart Haas racing machine that's number 98 Riley Herbst and then Cendrix for Team Penske. And at Colleg Racing is known for their teamwork. It is one of the team of several Chevrolet teams, right? I just think there's a frustration there of, of Austin Cendrick being the lone wolf. And he and Almendinger have raced each other extremely close and with respect, but you got to wonder if maybe there was something that was a, a move too far at the end of that race there. Cendric thought he had it won at the very end, and, and could that carry over, right, Dan? I mean, maybe Cendric thinks, you know, I'm not going to give Almendinger a break. By the way, Sam Mayer probably thinks he ain't going to give Justin Allgaier, his teammate, a break because uh, Almendinger rooted him out of the way. So do you think this is something that carries over there into the playoffs, much like we asked about with the, the Harvick and Elliott thing? I think it will to some degree carry over. I don't know that it will to the degree that, that we we see. Depending on how much of this got resolved in the hauler after the event, like I say, I think you're in a situation now that's quite different as years gone by to where that I think everyone just needs to settle down, and I think they will, and realize that this is one race, one event, and – um, you can't let it affect the rest of the season. You can't do that because, um, well, you could if you wanted to, but, but I don't <laughs> think that they're going to do that. I think they're going to realize that, that we've got a lot at stake. Let's just go in here and do the best we can and try to overcome it. And, um, and I think that was what each one of the, each one of the four were voicing the deal that, Hey, we've gotten through this. Let's move on and, and let's not let this happen again. Let, let's not, let's, let's not do this again. Uh, a hundred percent. Disagree, I, but let's, let's not do this again. I, if I was a good host and today I was only, I've been only mediocre to bad, I would have told you that we have Justin Allgaier coming on later in the podcast 
<laughs> so, so I'm going to get to ask him about the contact with Sam Mayer and also how much angst and frustration radiates into the playoffs that start for them in Las Vegas. So for real, stick with that. We're going to get to that in just a moment here as Dan and I begin to wrap things up. Uh, Justin Allgaier is going to join us. And I really, I mean, they, they had a conversation he and Mayer did on Pitt Road afterwards and Mayer was livid on the team radio and had to calm down afterwards. It doesn't matter if it's your teammate. If you lose out on a win, you're upset, and uh, and Mayer ended up rebounding yeah. to finish ninth. I, here's here's my rant or, or uh, sign off, if you will, Dan. And I'd like to hear yours before we get ready to go. Chandler Smith, a highly ballyhooed prospect, part time Kyle Busch Motorsports last season, full time this season, and frankly has struggled for most of the time. And you could listen a few episodes ago to this podcast. I did an interview with him just before the Truck Series playoffs began. He just squeaked through round number one of the truck playoffs, but he did so by winning and by performing well in a high impact moment. Sam Mayer has had a, and it's so early. He just turned 18, but he's had a really rocky start. These first, what is it? Eight to 10 races that he's had with junior motorsports and, and that car that Josh Berry ran so well with that number eight. And Mayer has crashed and he's crashed and he's struggled and he's made mistakes. And then in the ARCA series race, where he should have just been running right up there with the Venturini cars, right in the front of the field, and with Joe, with Ty Gibbs and all that stuff, Sam Mayer crashed out of that race early, making a really aggressive move, not not just wrecked by somebody else. He crashes in the Truck Series race, same way. And you got to think the weight of the world's falling on this kid. He's 18. He's not 30, where he has a little more perspective. He's 18, and then he gets into this Xfinity race and he goes up and he dominates it. He does. He he lead, well, I say he dominates. He leads 49 laps. He had it in his control at the end. And although Dan he lost that race, I think that finally turns the table because just one year ago, Sam Mayer goes out as a 17-year-old and wins in the or yeah, as a 17-year-old and wins the Truck Series race at Bristol, and that wasn't expected. Maybe just maybe both of these prospects turn things around and it's really early for both. Because that, you know, Dan, that mental pressure that, that built on your brother, that's built, that built on your nephew during his winless streak, that pressure was started to mount for those kids. And I, and I'm glad that they got their monkeys off their backs. Well, they, they get their little monkey off their back and then the monkey just grows up and gets bigger and then there's more <laughs> of them. Um, I think that, that this stuff is just okay. So everybody is, is pretty much after the same thing you just get more hungry for more and um you're you're not satisfied with with one thing or another thing it's just you your your hunger for that just gets more and more and i i don't know how's the best way to put this um it it becomes an insatiable appetite to go after everything that you can go after and do everything that you can do because I think I saw that a lot with with Kyle Bush and and all oh, the man. things that he wanted to accomplish and 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 even though you feel like you can do this you you feel like king of a hill and and you can accomplish all of this and do all of this and it just things have to be on your side to be able to do this everything has to line up so, so we're seeing the, the, what's the word here? 
we're, we're seeing how hard it is to get the stars in alignment to be able to complete some of the things that you feel like not only you can do, but you deserve to do. Right, right. And, uh, and, that's it's, a, and it's tough yeah. to do. It's tough to do. Winning is tough, but I, I think winning is tough. But when you come in and you're used to winning and you run not worse than you used to when you were in lower series, but you won like crap. <laughs> when you come in and you make mistakes, and you know, Dan, mistakes lead to more mistakes. And I guess what I, I'm gl- yeah. I was happy to see for the sake of the sport, not because I'm rooting for a certain driver, but you want to see drivers that are supposed to be good be good. Because we like good drivers. <laughs> so when Chandler Smith comes in and is just running 15th or running 7th or and is, and is supposed to be contending for wins, and he thinks he's supposed to be contending for wins, he's driving the best tr- truck out there, best, you know, best organization, and he's not doing it, and you're only 18, you, you start to think the world's over with. Because, I mean, you might even think that when you're 30, but you certainly think when you're 18. And then Sam Mayer is even younger than, a little bit younger than Chandler Smith. It's kind of the same way. And I, I, I don't, yes, yeah, Sam Mayer definitely didn't get a monkey off his back. He didn't even win, but he almost put a race together. And before he'd been throwing him away in stage one. So I, I think yeah. that's, uh, I think that's something to be said, an accomplishment there. So we go to a lot before we get to your, uh, uh, parting off words, Dan, we do go to Las Vegas this week. It's all three series. The playoffs are finally aligned. This weird schedule that we have where the truck and cup series, the truck series starts its playoffs first, then the cup series and then the Xfinity series. And it's all like a month apart finally gets back together and we're synced up again a lot for the rest of the year. So it's a Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Just like last weekend, it will be on the Performance Racing Network for radio. Go PRN.com, the PRN app. Find your affiliate. Listen online. You can even listen to the NASCAR app. All right, Dan, any parting words from you before we hear from the grizzled veteran, Justin Allgaier? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, let's just uh, look forward to a um, uh, an exciting – I want to go through the rest of the playoffs as excited as I am after Richmond and Bristol. And even absolutely, absolutely. Let's let's just go on through those. I, you know, the the controversy being what it is has made it what it is, and NASCAR can't be upset at the ticket sales. I'm sure going through for the next events coming up or the viewership that they're going to get from it. Uh, listen, I, I, they, I, they have to be happy about that. So for sure, well, we'll definitely be covering it all here with Las Vegas Motor Speedway coming up. And, and I mean, then it's Talladega and then it's the Roval and both of those races are wild card like certainly the Talladega because it, almost anybody can win and certainly the Roval because it's really thrown some excellent races at us, including rain last year in the Xfinity race and the beginning of the cup race. So uh, looking forward to checking out those. Before we wrap this thing up, though, we got to go talk to Justin Allgaier, who's going to talk to us, among other things, about the dynamics with his teammate, Sam Mayer, at the end of that Bristol race here as we get ready for the Xfinity playoffs starting in Las Vegas. Here's Justin Allgaier. I'm honored to be joined on the line here by, I think, one of the all-around all stand-up guys in the Xfinity garage, a fellow person of faith, which I want to talk about later in this and somebody who's uh, driven the wheels off of that number seven Brant Chevrolet and is going to be back in that car for 2022 as we head to the Xfinity playoffs. That is Justin Allgaier. 
And can you believe, Justin, it's 2021. I think your first full-time Xfinity season was 2008. Is that right? Uh, first full-time was 2009, but I did get to run some races in 08. So definitely a, a huge departure from then to now, but, uh, but still the same amount of fun and still, uh, still blessed to be doing a lot of what I love to do. And you're going to do it another season there. Before we talk about playoffs and stuff, I think – I don't have it in front of me. This is off the top of the head. But I think this is your sixth year or seventh year. I'm trying to think back to when your cup seasons were. I think 16, 15 and 16, right? So you, you, I think you have the longest stretch now going in that number seven car since they debuted it. I know Regan Smith was in it for a long time and Danica before that. So, I mean, what does it say when you see so many people cycle through this series and you've been able to get your feet back under you after the cup career to, to have this longevity? How does that work, and, and does it ever get stale? Well, there's a lot of pieces of the puzzle that have to go together for that to, to be able to happen. And, you know, the cup side of things was obviously a lot of fun. And I, I, I at some point in my career, I look forward to going back to the cup side and, and to, to try to compete for, for wins and, you know, ultimately a championship. But, um you know, this, this atmosphere here at Junior Motorsports is truly special. And, and, you know, they're a huge part of number one, um, kind of reinvigorating my career and, and, and putting me back into wanting to be at the racetrack week in and week out. And obviously great race cars so that we can go for a championship year in and year out. But, but also to, you know, Brant Professional Iron Culture, they've been a, a, a integral part of, of my career now for a number of years. And, and they're such a great supporter. Um, not only the, 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 you know, upper management and employees at, at, at brand professional agriculture, but, but the customers, you know, it is amazing how many folks I see, you know, week in and week out via social media or at the racetrack that, um, you know, their, their customers, their supporters, they're, they're, they're coming around and being a part of it because of what we do. And that, that means a lot to me. You know, I think that, that this sport, for me, has always been about people. Um, as much as I love what happens on the racetrack, it's still about people. And, and um, whether that's the fans or the people that work on the race cars or the, the people that stand behind the companies that, that support you. And, and so to have this opportunity here at Junior Motorsports, this very um, small, tight-knit group of, of, of employees here at Junior Motorsports, to, to compete on the grand scale that we do and to, to carry along the, the partners that we have really, really is truly special. And, and so, you know, there'd be nothing greater for me than to, than to bring junior motorsports back a, a championship trophy and, and to, uh, to have a lot of fun with it. But, you know, we're enjoying what we're doing. We go week in and week out. We leave it all on the table. And, and, and that's one thing that I love about this team. You can never, never question the effort or time that's put into it. No, for certainly. And I think a lot of people that follow the Xfinity series that, that listen to the NASCAR podcast world and consume stuff probably know the most about junior motorsports because it's the highest running Xfinity only operation, the, the best running and Dale Jr. download plus the door bumper clear podcast. Everybody hears all the inside stuff there. And when you were on there, you talked about, I just, the clearest thing I remember from the Dale Jr. download is talking about the cup years and those being really tough to run it for like a C level type ish team. What what advice would you give to somebody younger than you? I, I know your teammate Noah Gregson is, I don't know, I, I, but it's been rumored he's had opportunities and stuff offers it, whether it's one off things, and and he's chosen to come back and stay w- with the number nine team and not go into the cup in his early twenties. So, what what at what point do you think it's right for a driver to make a leap? I guess. Well, you know, I, I tell people all the time, you know, just because you have the opportunity doesn't mean that it's the right opportunity. And, and, you know, on the cup side, it's, it's, it's even more than just being in a good car, right? You you could take the best car in, in the series and, and 
if the driver, crew chief, engineer, team combo just doesn't line up, um, it, it's it's kind of a waste of time, right? And, and and all of the pieces of the puzzle have to fit perfectly. And, and that, that goes for the Xfinity series and the truck series side as well, right? Relationships are what make this sport work. And and obviously budgets and, and equipment make up a, a, a huge part of that. You know, y- you can have the best relationship in the world, but if you don't have the tools in your toolbox to use them, it doesn't really matter. But our team gives us tools to be able to go out there week in and week out and compete. We have a great group of guys and gals that that are on our 17 that that help make our team function and we have a good relationship when we go to the racetrack with not only our team in the 17 but all four of our cars at gmo sports and and there's a lot to be said for that you know we're able to go to the racetrack week in and week out and compete but but it goes deeper than 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 even what the fans see you know when we go to the racetrack and so you know i love this this atmosphere here i love being a part of this organization and and look forward to being here um you know whether that's just next year or many years to come after that um you know i look forward to to my time here at Gene motorsports and 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 love being part of this organization so it's definitely cool that uh i keep getting the opportunities and and again very blessed to uh, to do what i love to do week in and week out it says something about JRM that when you have the opportunities, I'm sure you've been offered that you'd still keep coming back to that number seven car. I want to, I want to ask too, I'm sure it's been asked a lot as you're doing a bunch of these media hits today. That was, that was the daggummest finish to an Xfinity race. Certainly there wasn't a play race that I might have seen. I'm sure there's others. Uh, so number one, how was that for you? I mean, that, that had, that had to be fun. I mean, I, I'm not answering your question for you, but that had to be fun, right? And then number two, I, you seem to be do a really good job diffusing the situation with Sam Mayer, who who's, was seeing a, a win at the end of the tunnel. So number one, finish being fun. And then number two, how did you approach that conflict, no, knowing that you were going to have an upset teammate or assuming you would? Yeah, you know, I think that it's very interesting. You know, I, I've, I've um, number one, I hate the fact that, that Sam and I had any contact, right? Um you know, we, we definitely had a, 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 an extremely fast race car. I mean, you know, to get out front early, to lead a lot of laps and then to, to kind of throw it all away by speeding up at road was, was disappointing. And, and I think the one thing that I, I take away from it is the fact that we were able to rally and drive our way back through the field and get back up to there. And unfortunately, you know, with Sam, um, you know, I spent about 50 or 60 laps behind him and, and could never really get the opportunity to get by him. And even though we were considerably faster, um, I just didn't feel it appropriate to use the bumper and to, and to try to move him out of the way to to get that spot. And, you know, that makes what happened at the end of the race probably that much more disappointing, right? Because we, we raced together clean for, for so many laps to, um, to then kind of come out to have the, the, the end result be what it was, was, was super disappointed. And, you know, he, he, you know, after the race is over, I immediately went over there to, to apologize because, whether I was in the right or the wrong, it still resulted in, in those guys going around. And, and so I hate that for them, right? I hate that they were in that scenario and in that circumstance. And, and he said, man, he goes, look, I, I would have done the same thing. You had the run of the inside. And he said, you know, in, in, in hindsight, he said, I, I, I wish I had looked in the mirror and seen that you had that much of a run. He said, by the time the spotter called that you were inside, I was already turned around backwards and going the other direction. And, and so it was just circumstances. Um, you know, and I, and I, and I think that, you know, that obviously set up the end of the race for the, the green white checker that we had, which yeah. was, which was wild. Um, I've never, I don't know that I've ever been in a circumstance like that where it was just kind of a free for all. Um, I was disappointed. We actually got uh, a hole in the left tire and I had a left tire going down and, 
So the last lap coming, you know, we crossed the start finish line for the wide. I went down into turn one and my car just took off like, like I was on ice skates and, and, uh, slid into the side of the 22 and, you know, ultimately, um, rubbed fenders and, and doors and quarter panels and nose. And I mean, I, I don't know that there was a, a spot on a race car that wasn't torn up. Um, when we got start, back to the start finish line, luckily we missed the crash after the checkered, but, uh, man, it was, it was a wild finish for sure. And something that I'll never forget probably, probably in my career. And, and is it fair to say, I know we're getting to the end of our window here. Is it fair to say that the biggest competition for junior motorsports as a whole is, is, are the 22 and the 16, are they the fastest or is there someone we're overlooking that's sneaky fast and just doesn't have the results? No, I mean, I think obviously they're really good. Um, you know, all four of our cars here at Junior Motorsports have, have been in contention to win week in and week out. So, you know, I look for all of us to have a great playoffs. You know, we're all in from an owner standpoint and, and then Noah and I are in from a driver standpoint. You can't ever count out Gibbs. You know, they, they've obviously had a great organization. They're going to be strong throughout these playoffs. Um, this is probably one of the stronger, stronger groups of contention that I've seen in, in the last number of years, just as a whole. You know, all 12 of the cars going for the championship really have, have stepped up when they needed to. And, you know, it's going to be difficult, but, but that's what we love about this sport and this series. You know, obviously what Xfinity and, and all of our partners do for the series and for the sport is, is truly special. And so, you know, we're going to go out there week in and week out and give it our all for these playoffs. And hopefully uh, when it's all said and done, we can, we can hoist that uh, championship trophy at the end of the year. And one last one, real quick. Yeah, you being a person of faith, I, a lot of times the drivers are the mo- that are the most praised, or whenever, whenever they have that attitude, you know, and the, the, the kind of the assassin thing in their veins, right? It just on paper, it seems like that goes in contrast to peace loving and and forgiveness and, and you know things like that. H- how do you balance the competitive edge you have to have behind the wheel with being a good guy? Because you you seem to do it in a lot of respects to the outsider. Uh, I would say social media probably wouldn't agree. Um, I, I, I do get a lot of, uh, I do get a lot of flack on social media for, for, um, you know, when incidents like what happened at, at Bristol happen and then they say, Oh, you, you know, you try to try to act like you're all high and mighty and a good guy. And, and here you are doing things like that on the racetrack. But, but, you know, I think for me, you know, my faith has been what has gotten me through this sport and, and number one, gotten me to this point. All right. Uh, none of us do this without a God given ability to be able to come here and do this and compete and, and having the right doors open and, and having all those opportunities. Um, but the other part of it is, you know, I'm a competitive person and, and, and I still want to win and I want to be, um, competitive and, 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 you know, I guess, be successful but but my idea of success probably is a little bit different than what everybody else's is um but you know in the bible it says um to 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 whatever um whatever abilities god's given you you know to go out there and to to use them to the to the fullest of their ability and 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 you know i i feel like for me i've i've tried to be um the same person off the racetrack that i am on the racetrack and and be the best person that I can be. We are all, we're all human. We all make mistakes, but, but try to be the best person that I can be. And, and, um, you know, I, I don't know if I do a good job at it or not. I try really, really hard and, and I try to put my faith out there for, for all to see. And, and, uh, we have such a great platform to, to be able to, 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 um, use our platform to, 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 to promote our faith and, and to, uh, to promote Jesus Christ. So it's, it's been a lot of fun to be able to do that, but, uh, you know, we're still human. We still have our, our good days and our bad. That's for sure. 
Oh, for sure. And especially when you're a father of a young baby and, and another one that's a bit older, too. And I'm sure starting to really get into some stuff there. So, Justin, thanks for spending some time today. I know we went a little bit over, but I'm thankful to Mike and, and to Ross and NASCAR, too, and everybody for making it happen. And good luck in the playoffs here. Absolutely. Thank you. And thanks so much to Justin and to uh, Ross at NASCAR for putting that together for us and getting us synced up. Uh, to me, that adds a lot of weight, Dan, to this podcast to be able to have drivers that are relevant show up and get to talk to us about racing. And I'm definitely going to endeavor to – I say a lot of things I'm going to endeavor to do, but I endeavor to try to do that more as we go throughout. And I feel like we have a good mix of that. And that certainly helps when I get to the racetrack, Dan, and can talk to people in person. So uh, thank you, everybody, for listening there to the 5 to Go Racing podcast. Dan, any big plans for you this weekend, or is it going to be a couch potato and, and a Vegas racing for you? Um, got a lot on my plate here at work, and you're trying to get as many things done before the summer. You know, we're we're beginning to get a little bit of change in the season here, and a lot yeah. of things on my plate, as well as I know from yours, on things that I have to get done before the season ends myself. So I'm I'm kind of backed up in the shop here a little bit on some some transmissions that I'm doing and um, then also too on some personal things that I've got going that I want to get done before cold weather yeah. gets here. Oh, for sure. Well, thank you for stepping out for the shop and uh, <laughs> thank you for stepping out when you know you could have been uh, in there doing that and helping us here on Five to Go. And folks, thank you for listening. Las Vegas this weekend, all three series are there, and we'll see who emerges as uh, victorious and as a favorite going forward here in the second round of the Cup Series playoffs, the first round of the Xfinity, and the second round of Trucks. For Dan Elliott and Eric Von Hessler, who couldn't be with us today, I'm Doug Turnbull, and thank you for listening to 5 to Go. All right, Dan, I think that'll get us done there, brother. Let me start recording here. Hold on. Oh, good, Dougie T. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.